Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Today, my guest for the hour is Heather Lendy. We'll be talking about her new book of Bears and Ballots, an Alaskan adventure in small town politics. Heather Lendy was uh, one of thousands of women inspired to take a more active role in politics during the past few years. And though her entire campaign for assembly member in Haines, Alaska cost less than $1,000, she won. But tiny, breathtaking, beautiful Haines, a place accessible from the nearest city, Juneau, only by boat or plane, isn't the sleepy town that it appears to be. From a bitter debate about the expansion of the fishing boat harbor to the matter of how to stop bears from rifling through garbage on Main Street, to the recall campaign that targeted three assembly members, including Lendy, we witnessed the nitty-gritty of passing legislation, the lofty ideals of our republic, and how the polarizing national politics of our era play out in one small town. Heather Lendy has contributed essays and commentary to NPR, the New York Times, and National Geographic Traveler, among other newspapers and magazines. And she's the author previously of the best-selling books, Find the Good. Also, Take Good Care of the Garden and the Dogs. And if you lived here, I'd know your name. So tell me, remind us uh, how you ended up in Haines. Well, first of all, where is Haines? Haines is, we are uh, in between uh, Juneau and Skagway on the Inside Passage, up in the in the, kind of the northern corner of um, where Alaska meets uh, British Columbia and the Yukon, the, the part known as the Panhandle, and where a lot of the cruise ships um, go by. Haines has uh, some ships come here. The majority of the ships go to Juneau and Skagway and pass us. I understand it's accessible by boat or plane. Yes. You, it's, a, it's a ferry ride from Juneau, about a, a four-hour ferry ride or so, and a small plane. From Juneau, there is, there is a road as well. You can come, you can drive all the way from Utah if you go up through Canada on the Alcan Highway and through Whitehorse and then back down on the Haines Cutoff Highway. It's a long trip, though. Oh, okay. The Canadian border is about 40 miles outside of town. Uh, so I could uh, I could drive all the way up, then I'd have to take a four-hour ferry to, to get to Haines. Uh, no, to get yeah. to Juneau. Oh, do you, well, <laughs> you get to Juneau, but then from there to Haines, I'd have to... Uh, no, um, you can drive all the way to Haines. Oh, you drive all the way to Haines. Okay, but it's a kind you of can. Kind you of can long... actually do it. You just go all the way up and down and around through Canada, and you can get here. <laughs> okay, very good. Um, so um, it's uh, it's a, a small town. Uh, how how big a town? There's about twenty five hundred people here, and um, eight hundred households or so, and the and the. Haines Borough, we call it, it's like a county there, I guess, and um, it's about the size of Rhode Island, but most of the people live, um, uh, you know, near the town proper. And uh, we have one school, kindergarten through 12th grade, that has about 270 kids. Mm. So that sort of gives you a feel for the size of the yeah, place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Haines is, uh, I guess, geographically the size of Rhode Island, but the, the population is somewhat, uh, somewhat small. Um, yes. And of course, you uh, you've written several books about the, this area, it, it, and obviously you love it. You've been there thirty years or something. Yeah, I'm um, actually I I've, yeah I've written three books about Haynes. If you lived here, I'd know your name. Uh, take good care of the garden and the dogs, and um, I find the good. And um, I was saying the other day that I'd lived here about thirty five years, and then I was reminded by my second daughter that she's thirty six and a half, and she was born here. So <laughs> I guess it's longer than that. It's just you know. In general, I've basically lived here my entire adult life. I came to Haines when I was 24, and I just turned uh, 61. So you, um, I, I grew up in New York, did you? Yes, on Long Island, outside of New York City, and I attended uh, Quaker schools where my mother was a teacher and an administrator, and then I went to college in Vermont, and that's where I met my husband. And then when we got married, we uh, bought a pickup truck and drove to Alaska. So I guess... If you could say that I'm still on my honeymoon. <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. Uh, this is uh, this is you know not a totally unusual story. I think uh, people I don't know with adventure in their hearts, the the call of Alaska is strong. Is that what happened to you guys? Yeah, I guess you know we were just kids and young, you know, and wanted to be I suppose different than our parents, and um, not that we didn't get along with them well, but just wanted to try. Uh, and see another part of the world. And I had never been further west than western Pennsylvania. So uh, just seeing the mountains, I remember just even waking up, you know, in Montana and looking up at those and just 
you know, it, it just kind of catches you. Some people it does, and it certainly did me, and I, I just felt like I was home the minute I, I got to Haynes, and I still feel that way, and, and now I'm really uh, fortunate that I have you know, I've had five children, and, and two of my daughters live in Haynes. With, there's five grandchildren here, and there's two more in Juneau with three more grandchildren, and then my son is... Um, he's kind of the, the flyer. He's off in Western Australia with his family. Western Australia, wow. And he, he flies, does he? Um, well, he, um, no, he's... Uh, oh, oh um, you were using that expression, he's the flyer. I, the flyer. Okay. Yeah, yes, yeah. okay, gotcha. He's a chef right now there, yeah. and he um, he was an Alaskan fisherman, and he would spend the, uh, the winters uh, surfing, and he kept going to warmer and warmer places, and he ended up out in uh, Margaret River, which is in the western, uh, southwest corner of Australia there, and, and uh, fell in love and has a family there now. Oh, very interesting. Remote places on the earth, that's kind of a running theme. I yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there's something the romantic about this story, right? Your story, your husband got in the pickup truck and drove to Alaska. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, wh- I'm completely a romantic. I suppose that's why I ran for office. I thought that, you know, it was going to be like... <laughs> I don't know, a different kind of a story. <laughs> right. Uh, so before we get to that, did, did uh, was Alaska how, you, how you, you and your husband dreamed it would be? I guess. I mean, I don't know. I was so young, I, I could hardly, you know, imagine it. I think you, you, you obviously imprint a place, you know, creating your image of it in some ways, and then as you um, live there and become part of it and raise a family and, um, you know, uh, on the ground hiking and uh, boating and um, being a part of a place, the people and the land, uh, that changes and you learn to love it uh, in in a different kind of way, more like a, an old marriage kind of a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the way, uh, go to heatherlendy.com, you see some spectacular uh, photographs, also the Facebook page. It's just, uh, you know, it is ex- extremely, extremely beautiful. Um, so tell, tell me a bit about the community you, and, and you write about, you know, the, the colorful characters, the, your, your friends, um, you know, for example, um, one of your books, Finding the Good, you, I don't know if you still do this, but for many years you wrote obituaries. Yeah, I still, there. I still do. I, I don't do all of them. Um, the, the newspaper, uh, staff sometimes does them as well, but, um, uh, mostly this week I didn't do, there were two this week I didn't do because of all this um, book stuff that was happening. But, um, yeah, I've written about oh, well over 400, I guess, for, for many of the, uh, pretty much every family in one way or another in the community. Mm-hmm. So uh, is it a close-knit community, a small community that, that often means close-knit? Yes, I mean, y- yes. It's also, you know, it's Alaskan, so those people are, are independent, too. Um, you know, it's, it's not like Minnesota or something. It's... Um, or what what I hear about Minnesota anyway it's it's a different kind of a place there's people that come and go there's people very passionate about um all kinds of things um I think typically you know to Alaska especially uh the right left divide tends to fall on um environmental development kind of issues um more than social issues uh and um Haines is a a place that was a a, a logging town uh, working town, and then, you know, by really almost by the time we arrived in the early 80s, that was all changing. And now it's uh, it's still a commercial fishing community, but more of a tourist, fishing, um, artsy, alternative, people coming here to find a different way to live. Um, and so that, that means people are really passionate about the place. And also it's not an easy place to live, so there's a lot at stake, you know, People have their whole lives are dependent on, you know, the certain issues, and and, and they get pretty passionate about them. So, uh, why did you run for office? I uh, I guess I you know as part of that group of people, I think in 2016, following the the campaign, the presidential campaign, especially, and I I uh, I thought, well, I I want to run and be part of, you know, the first woman. Uh, president at that time, and we know how that went. It didn't <laughs> quite go that way, and it kind of, um, you know, that that was uh, 
part of I think what happened was the the change in um, the the country and the the change in the tone and everything kind of um, filtered down to Haynes and and actually was put myself and another uh, assembly member uh, who was also elected was the uh, publisher of the newspaper and so you had me a writer and then the publisher of the newspaper were the two new assembly members and we were uh, targeted pretty strongly right away from uh, the much more conservative members of the community. So the, this is 2016 when you run, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, you know, 2016 election, Donald Trump uh, defeats Hillary yep. Clinton, surprise uh, election. Uh, we'll get into this. And, and I think you pose at least the question in the book, did, did that, <laughs> all this polarization and division filter down to Haynes? And I, 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 I guess the, the, the answer is yes, right? Well, yes and no. I mean, Haynes has also always been pretty divided. And um, I was looking back even, you know, when we first got here, it was safe to say that basically 50% of the people were always going to be displeased with anything the government did, and 50% would be happy. And um, that's, uh, you know, still maybe true. I think what, it wasn't so much the political divide as the, uh, really the, the way People were speaking to each other, and the incivility of it uh, really reflected, I think, um, what was coming from the top down. Mm. So, what to, uh, were there issues you were concerned about when you ran? What to, what are the you've talked about some of them? Uh, maybe some of the other issues that are important to people in Haines. Well, one was um, uh, the harbor. We we had a harbor expansion project, and we have a picture postcard. You know, Alaskan harbor surrounded by mountains and. Um, you know, beautiful fjord and a, a, like a rock, typical rock breakwater and, you know, fishing boats on little docks. And it's right at the bottom of Main Street. And um, we uh, got a, a, a grant, government grant, to, to really double the size of it. And um, that was run through several committees and previous assemblies. And it ended up pretty much being a, a really big parking lot and a sheet metal wall and not as much harbor, as I thought we should have. And um, uh, when I campaigned, we campaigned on having a referendum to at least vote on the design, which had been very controversial. And what happened was, you know, I learned right away that, well, you campaign on that and you get elected. And then we had to have a special meeting to see if we could get a a public vote on the design. And and, um, that turned out to be just hugely confrontational and controversial. And, um, you know, the harbor supporters felt like then we didn't support the change in the harbor. And anyway, that happened like the first week we were elected. And uh, the it, it ended up a tie vote with the mayor breaking the tie in favor of not having a public vote. But then, like the next morning even, uh, the folks who were unhappy said, you know, we're going to try to recall you guys. And so it was, it was boom from the get-go. And even though um, they, they won, we didn't get the vote anyhow. But it didn't seem to matter after that. We were just back on our heels and away we went. Uh, so before we get to the recall, um, the, the, the campaign, so a $1,000 campaign, yeah, and I thought that was too much, but, you know, for <laughs> newspaper ads and some signs and the campaigning, I, you know, again, I when I campaigned, I thought, well, I'm just going to tell the truth. I'm not a politician, you know, I'll just do what I need to, you know, say what I think, and then if I get elected, I'll have the confidence that people um, kind of trust my judgment or know where I'm coming from. And one of the funny, really funny moments was right in the beginning of the campaign. Now I think it's funny. Uh, then it was like, oh, what did I do? Um, I was in a meeting of the Alaska Miners Association, the Haynes branch of the miners, and it was at 7 o'clock in the morning in the Pioneer Bar, and they had the six candidates for the assembly were there, and the miners um, are very much in support of a proposed mine that's up the Chilkat River from Haynes, and the Chilkat River has all five species of um, Pacific salmon um, spawn in it still. It's, um, it's really remarkable. Uh, place and it's the lifeblood of the community and why people have lived here for you know a millennia. Um, and uh, anyway, there's a there was a 
a proposal to um, have what they call it designated a tier three waterway. I hope this isn't too wonky, but this might resonate in Utah. Anyway, a you know, protected waterway. And that was a big question for the miners who, of course, all had no tier three bumper stickers on all the trucks outside of the bar. And they did a sort of a flash round where you had to say yes or no, tier three. And it went, you know, no, 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 no. And it was my turn. And I said, yes. And I was sitting with um, a dear friend of mine who's the godfather of my daughter in a booth, who's also a big construction guy and a pro-mine person. And he just he put his head down on the table and said, oh, Heather, and I was going <laughs> to vote for you. And, and I thought, again, I thought, well, that's, that's how it is. Like, we'll all still be friends, and, and we can agree to disagree on these things, but we have to be honest about how we're feeling and not just speak to the crowd in the room, you know? You're listening to Access Utah, and uh, my guest for the hour is Heather Lendy. Uh, her new book is called Of Bears and Ballots, an Alaskan Adventure in Small-Town Politics. We'll have more following this break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Law Office of Attorney Tess A. Davis, providing legal services and assisting clients in all areas of family law, including divorce, complex custody issues, and high-conflict divorce litigation involving large marital estates. Information at TessDavisLaw.com. On the next Putumayo World Music Hour, it's international pop music. Songs with mainstream appeal from Africa, the Caribbean, Asia, and Europe. Un principiante che non aveva mai amato un po' distante. I'm Rosalie Howarth. Join us for World Pop, the next Putumayo World Music Hour. Join us Friday night at 10 on Utah Public Radio. This is Kate Salinas, the staff assistant at UPR. We're grateful for the support of our members, especially during this strange time. We want to do our best to support you and local businesses as we head into this new version of normal. Be sure to check out our website for the latest COVID-19 news, business announcements, and community events information. That's all on our website, upr.org. If you'd like us to feature your changed or canceled event information online, send me an email at uprcommunityevents at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Uh, today we're talking with Heather Lendy. Uh, she's contributed essays and commentary to NPR, New York Times, and National Geographic Traveler, among other newspapers and magazines. Her previous books are If You Lived Here, I'd Know Your Name, Take Good Care of the Gar- Garden and Dogs, and Find the Good. And uh, today we're talking about her new book, Of Bears and Ballots, an Alaskan Adventure in Small Town Politics. You know, in a, in a town this size, um, you know, it, it can't really be anonymous. Can it, it, it? I mean, it friendships are involved, right? And relationships. Oh, very much so. It's very er, much so. Er, everything is community. That, you know, conflict of interest is often, you know, it's defined by money. Usually, in in our culture, um, you know, you have to declare what you could stand to gain financially. Is is the is the kind of the definition when you're sitting in office? And and I found that. You know that was nothing. <laughs> it was it was relationships with people who, you know, might even be family members. You know, my sister, my brother-in-law were trying to were wrangling over a, the cost of a, extending a water line to their property. There was um, again friends who would appeal, you know, a, a tax bill or a zoning issue or there for a tour permit. You know, and you have to sit in essentially in judgment of that and do what's best for the community, which might not be best for them. And um, people get get pretty uh, angry, and it becomes personal really quickly. If, if, and it's hard, it's hard not to be personal, you know? You just feel terrible when you have to make a decision that um, you know is really going to make someone that you care deeply about very upset. I want to read just a little bit uh, from a review of your book by Tom Baudet. People be familiar with him, a humorist, right, author. And he mm-hmm. says, former chair of the select board of uh, Dummerston, Vermont. So he, has, he has some experience here. Um, this part of it, he, he says, people are selfish and unreasonable and pushy and frightened and stupid, and they're thoughtful and brave and generous and loyal and kind. 
They all come to meetings, and they always have, and with the help of a few souls, we elect to sit at the front of the room and take the heat we, uh, heat we work things out, and the world rolls on. If you haven't served on a local board or commission, you haven't lived. Um, and then he goes on to, to say some very nice things about your book. Um, that, I'm guessing that resonates, right? Oh, very much so. And I think, you know, that's what I learned, too. I always, you know, I'm a, I'm a half-glass-full person, uh, optimist. Um, but I did, I really did have to learn that there are uh, some people out there that are uh, very challenging and um, that take all your energy just not to, um, you know, want to want to throw something at them when they're speaking to you, uh, and and that was um, a, a kind of a just a test of my own sort of moral fiber, I guess, to to be able to um, hold my tongue or um, uh, try to be patient with with people who were uh, not. Um, reasonable at all, and um, and yet there were so many good people that came to to our meetings, and so many good things that happened. You know, people wanted the government to do um, make things better in the community. You know, people who support the library and the swimming pool or the the local nonprofits, or you know, have some idea about cleaning up a, a park or a project that they want to do, turning up you know, a school into an old abandoned school into a community center, things like that, that, you know, you realize there's just a lot of people doing a lot of good. And then there's also a town like ours even, which is still pretty small, has all kinds of committees that people are on from park and rec to the harbors to um, uh, community youth activities. Um, there's there's a library board, a museum board. There's people that are um, just volunteering all the time to make the community better. And and at the top is the assembly, who basically is allocating the funds and setting the policy and, and encouraging that. And you know, as as people, we live in communities, and it's incumbent, I think, on all of us to to be involved in in how they are are run. Yeah, there's a, you know, what is a citizen, for example? What does it mean to be involved? And uh, before you were on the assembly. You were involved in a lot of ways, right? And I think probably continue to be. So, you know, working with the local public radio and arts organizations, mm-hmm. yeah, hospice, radio right? Station. Yeah. I coached the high school cross country running team for 17 or 18 years as a volunteer there. Um, the library board, I'm a hospice of Haynes volunteer. Uh, you know, my husband and I have a, uh, well, he basically runs it as a hardware store at a lumber yard. We're, we're really um, a community people. And I think. I think that's really, really more important than ever right now. Um, uh, at the beginning of the book, I have a quote from Sister Simone Campbell. I don't know if you're familiar with her, but uh, she's the author of A Nun on the Bus. And she talks mm. about um, the idea that um, that it's it's a myth that um, this is a, a country based on, you know, individuals, that really um, the Constitution even underscores that, that we're a communal society. It's we the people. And, and the idea is to form a more perfect union. And I think for people who are thinking about running for office or getting involved, the one thing that um, saved me when I was having doubts about how I could do this um, in the face of some pretty, uh, you know, tough uh, opposition to some things was, um, you know, that the oath of office says that, um, you know, I'll do the best that I'm able it, it doesn't say you have to be perfect. It just says you have to do the best that you're able to uphold the Constitution of the state of Alaska and the United States and the charter of the Haynesboro. And that's all very heady, but it really comes down to doing the best that you can. And I think people really can rise to the occasion, and, and we do pretty good when we're thinking about the common good. So I guess, I guess the, the romantic notion, what we'd like to think is that this is all of a piece, right? You... Um, you know, you help the arts organization, you you help at the local high school, um, all those things that help uh, hold a community together. Uh, and then just one of those is is being elected to office. Did, did you mm-hmm. did you find it so, or, or was it uh, materially uh, it's different. different? It was easier yeah. to be involved in a in an organization that was um, sort of just strictly 
doing the thing that they do, <laughs> being in elected office, it becomes political really quickly. Mm-hmm. And there's all kinds of things that are influencing a local government. And a lot of them are outside interests. A lot of, you know, again, larger companies, development issues uh, uh, that can become really um, uh, tough. Um, and I, uh, I think, though, too, now in relation to the way the world is, the, the other thing to remember is that even as we change or we deal with public health issues or we deal with systematic racism or social injustice, a lot of that comes down to little decisions that are made every day by small-town governments on just how they allocate funds. You know, do you, do you fund how you fund preschools, how you fund police departments, how you fund uh, senior meals on wheels, you know, those kind of things... Um, how you hire people, what the benefits are, what the wages are for different jobs. Are they equal between women and men? That kind of thing that I didn't even, I didn't even really think about that so much. And now I'm becoming much more aware of it in um, just reading the news and listening to what's happening. It's like, oh, right. These things are happening because it's just sort of the way we've always done it. And, and we haven't really looked at a local level of how we're complicit in some of these things. Yeah, yeah, uh, certainly, uh, certainly you, you, you're seeing this. Did you think people will maybe start focusing a little more on local government? That's uh, you know, that's. I the, think so. I mean, I sure would because it, it's a it's a way more productive way to spend your time than you know firing back at people on Facebook about the latest tweet that came out of the White House. It just you know that that just kind of adds to your anxiety and frustration. Where I think working within your community, it, it it's sort of like you know, it sounds like a cliche, but it isn't. It's like what Margaret Mead said, you know, the only thing that really ever did change the world was, you know, five people. <laughs> and and I'm kind of of the school where you work within your family and then your community and you, you start at home and, and do the good that you can do there and then it'll it'll ripple out, sort of like the, the butterfly effect. <laughs> I want to talk about the, the, the recall, but first of all, um, this is, you know, small town, um, in the act in the election, the original election where you were elected, you know you don't have names, right? But you, you have numbers, and it, I don't know. Must I can imagine myself? Am I running for office? I, I feel pretty gratified that I, I got a majority of the, uh, you know, a winning uh, number of my friends and neighbors who thought I was up to the task. Exactly. You just you're you're very happy. It's it's not all that much different, I suppose, than being in eighth grade and winning the student body president or something. You know, um, you think, oh, this is this is pretty pretty neat. You know, I, I won. Um, uh, and then uh, you don't, I think the beauty of, of democracy in the voting booth is that you don't know who voted for you and who didn't. And likewise, uh, people don't know who you cast your ballot for. It's private. Mm-hmm. And I think um, that's the way it ought to be, <laughs> because when you find out who it is, it's much, it's much tougher on you. So the the recall is now way, right? Recall is a petition, right? So that you, yes, you, you it's a see, petition with signatures on it. You see the names, right? These are your neighbors you and friends, and yes, hopefully no family members. But um, who who are who are saying, you know, Heather Landy's not doing a good job. We want her to out of office. That that's yeah, <laughs> that's got to be tough. Very tough. It was a, it was, you know, it it was very hard on me um, because I had thought that I had built relationships, and I, I guess part of it, you know, looking back, it's the other thing, too, is that obviously, as if you run for office, you, you have to kind of grow up a little bit and not take um, uh, a disagreement or someone who doesn't vote for you as a, any kind of measure of your self-worth, you know, but um, that that's taken me a while, and I mean, I'm a grandmother now, and I'm still working on that, so... Um, in, in, in hindsight now, you know, of course everybody's not going to vote for you. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there's going to be people that are your friends that disagree with your politics, and that isn't the end of the world. But when it's, when it's um, you know, based on kind of a, a, a really uh, um, disagreeable and um, dishonest um, campaign, that's when it's tough. You know, and like, mm-hmm. well, really, they believe... They believed them instead of me. Why didn't they ask me? You know, that that was hard. And I, I did, um, I was at a pretty low point when I 
<laughs> read the names on the petition, and I didn't even want to. My sister, I thought, I just glanced at it, and I just thought, oh, you know, it wasn't too bad. It was kind of the people I figured would be on there. But then uh, my sister called and was was reading all the names, and I hadn't realized how how many pages of them there were. And that was a, that was a tough day. So how do you, um, you know, it's a small town. It's a, it's a lot of interconnection. There's relationships there. How do you... <laughs> How do you how do you go forward with that and keep those relationships? Well, I mean, you know, it, it's it it all comes down to we're it's kind of like a family in some ways. I mean, is it you don't have to necessarily be pals with everybody, but you have to live together, um, see each other, and in the in the long run, it's one of those greater lessons in life. You know that you you have to learn to you know forgive people that are never going to ask you to, you know, and accept apologies that are never going to be given. And if you don't, you're the one that suffers more than they do, you know? They win, I guess, if you, if it just, if you allow it just to, to wreck yourself. And then the other thing, I think, in Haynes, living here, it's such a beautiful place. It's, and the, I can't emphasize enough the um, benefit to me of getting outdoors every day and hiking and uh, biking and, uh, you know, skating and snowshoeing and being out in a place that is so beautiful that it's really hard to feel sorry for yourself <laughs> for very long or, or find the bad when you're, when you're living in a place like this. And then when I have so many good friends and um, relationships that I've had for, like you said at the beginning, 36, 37 years, that were really wonderful to me during all of it. It's just, um, I think sometimes it's human nature to only go to the dark side, but there's so much light where I live, and I I can't imagine living anywhere else. But um, there's a, a new maybe maturity about it where I know it's not all perfect, but um, having weathered some of the storms, I, I've, I feel like I'm, I'm more rooted here than ever. You're listening to Access Utah, and my guest is Heather Lendy. Uh, she's an author, lives in Haines, Alaska, small and beautiful Haines, Alaska. We're talking about her new book, Of Bears and Ballots, An Alaskan Adventure in Small Town Politics. More following this. This is a one-minute preview of Episode 7 of Debunked. I'm Tim Light, and I'm joined by Mindy Vincent, Shanti Moritz, and Dr. Aaron Fanning Madden. The myth we're debunking today in one minute is the only legitimate treatment for addiction is abstinence. It's a huge bunch of science that we seem to like push aside and not really pay attention to because it doesn't jive with this long-held belief about recovery that comes from nowhere. Like, you don't get to decide what works for other people, and if you really don't want your loved one to die, then let's support their pathway to recovery so they can stay alive. That's why I'm so grateful to be recovering today because there's so many different ways to do it. There are these medications that most people don't know about, and if they know about them, they tend to have pretty negative perceptions of them. But these medications are backed by a lot of science, and they work. Join us for the full debunking of this myth on Episode 7 of Debunked. You can find the episode on the podcast app, upr.org, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. We reached our last segment with Heather Lendy. She is a writer, lives in Haines, Alaska. We're talking about her new book of Bears and Ballots, an Alaskan adventure in small town politics. Heather Lendy is one of thousands of women who inspired to take a more active role in politics in the past few years. And uh, she won a seat on the assembly of uh, Haines, Alaska, then was subject, uh, along with a couple of other assembly members, to a recall uh, campaign. Uh, and in the book, uh, we witness the nitty-gritty of passing legislation, the lofty ideals of our republic, and how the polarizing national politics of our era are playing out in one small town. Here's more with Heather Lendy. Do you, as a woman in politics, I think you were the only, were you the only woman assemblyman? No, no, Was we have, a, uh, the mayor is a woman. Okay. Um, there are other... There are other there are other women, but I think um, I was the only woman that was up for recall. The subject to recall. How do, do you do you think yeah. you do you think it affected you differently than the the men who were subject to the recall? Yeah, I know it did. Um, yes, I, I I took it much more personally, and I don't know whether that's a um, 
that's a woman thing or it's a generational um, thing. My daughters are are tougher than I am about that. But, you know, I, I was raised um, on the generation that you want to please, that you're the hostess, you're trying to make things right, you're the mom, you know, pretty old-fashioned in that way. And um, uh, so I I opened the door. I know I, I would talk to, to the... Um, people who are campaigning for the recall or, you know, try to listen or have these uh, reach out. And I think that was just, um, so it, it, it affected me much more personally. Mm. I couldn't just go, oh, well, it's just the recall. One of the guys, Tresham is, um, he was 75, an artist. And he just said, oh, he, he never felt like he had so much attention in his life that, <laughs> you know, all this activity around the recall was, um, really making him, um, energizing him the other the other guy was the editor of the newspaper and he was just he came out you know both fists going against these guys and me i just wanted to hide at home you know so it was a very different response and and i don't know if that's male or female or just me Hmm. um do you think um civility in 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 the town and in the electric in the the politics of, of the town do you think that uh I don't know. Do you think that was elected by the by the national, um, you know, the national scene? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm just a, I'm just a big believer in in civility. I mean, I think people should be polite, and um, I and I don't I don't mean that you know you can't you can't battle the the bad guys and you can't speak for justice and truth, but um, you can do it in a, in a way that is um, pleasant. I think I, I look at um, one, of the, one of the most active um, environmental uh, campaigners uh, in our community was my friend Tim, and um, he uh, always, he, he held higher, he ran for state legislature a few times and he never won, um, but he was the kind of guy that didn't, could speak about protecting the environment and about um, uh, you know how many parts per billion were okay, and and, and basically he always thought none in terms of cancer-causing agents that were in the water. But he, everybody just always liked him. They liked to be around him. You know he, and so his message became more effective. I mean he didn't win too often, but um, he was always in the room with people. He wasn't like shunned, and I think that's really really important. And I think it's even more important now that I've kept relationships with some people that um, we have very different politics. It wasn't local politics so much as national politics, um, but that that we're all still friends because, uh, you know, how else can we have any kind of reconciliation or redemption when, when you know, we get through with um, whatever the country's been going through these last four years? Um, it, it'll matter that I'm still friends with people on the other side. Are there lessons do you, do you think we can export from Haynes to you know to apply to the country if we, if we if we were able to? Well, I think you know I think one of them is um, to uh, you know don't 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 spend too much time on social media if you can help it. I think um, another one is um, um, you know getting outside and taking a walk uh, that always helps. But I think the other. The big one that I always think about, because I live in a small town and because I live in a place where my my, my grandchildren are, you know, I I just always would measure it like, would I want my grandchildren to hear what I'm saying right now about a political opponent or about this particular issue? What, what would make them proud of me? And um, and I think about that often now when I open my mouth to say something or write something. I, I want it to be something that they'll say, go, Grandma, you did good, <laughs> instead of, oh, my gosh, <laughs> what did you say? And I think if we think about that, if we think about whenever we're speaking even about a, a politician or about an issue that, that we're in, sitting in the same room with them, that, that may change our tone, and it, and it may actually um, help influence people in a way that... Um, we would we would like them to be influenced. They might listen more. 
Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, one of the influences is, uh, you know, social media, right? You can be you can be anonymous, and that tends to, at least in some people, mean they, you know, they get, get as mean as they want. Um, I don't know how we, you can't put that genie back in the bottle, but I, I guess we can uh, set an example, each of us, right? Yeah, you can't. I mean, what you can do is try not to get sucked into it and then try to say, well, what can I, you know, if these things are important to me, it's better to go out and campaign for things that you care about than to just be yelling on Facebook about things that you're mad about. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. If you can, if, if, if these things, you know, if Black Lives Matter is important to you, if the environment is important to you, if, um, you know, public health is important to you, there's all kinds of ways that you can work towards that um, positively. You uh, said you, you wrote, a, 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 I guess, three phrases at the top of each agenda. <laughs> While you were serving, what 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 did you write? Um, I wrote, uh, "Be kind, be brave, be thankful," and I think, uh, and I did that for my friend Becky Nash uh, has had a, a lot of uh, loss in her life, um, um, uh, and uh, she's lost children to, to tragedy and uh, uh, cancer, and um, she always. That's what she told my son, who's she's his godmother, when, when he went off to Australia. She said, you know, be kind, be brave, be thankful. And I think about that all the time, and I think, um, you know, we have to be brave in this world if we're going to uh, save it and do good. And But we have to remind ourselves to be thankful for all, you know, that, that we do have. And um, it helps to be kind. I mean, a lot of times the people who are uh, just behaving the worst, there's something else going on. And um, it doesn't mean you have to agree with them, but if you can find some little bit of empathy there, it, it might change the relationship, and it might end up uh, changing their mind sometime, which certainly um, yelling at them probably will never do. Hmm. You, uh, you, I want to talk just a little bit about your, your book, uh, Take Good Care of the Garden and the Dogs, right? Um, it's a lot of wisdom in that book. Uh, one of the experiences you had, and no way am I comparing this to running for office or being subject to a recall, uh, you were run over by a truck. Yeah, <laughs> and it was kind of similar. Oh, oh there I was did, some, some, okay. I did right. say to myself several times, like, look, Heather, you survived getting run over by a three-quarter ton Chevy pickup truck. <laughs> um, you can survive sitting on this assembly and getting run over by, uh, you know, a burly construction guy who's giving you the what for. Um, you know, there there is um, uh, something to that, that the things that happen to you in, in life, and whether, uh, you know, most of us, I think, by the time we're 40 probably have been hit by a proverbial truck of some kind, and, um, you know, there's a, not that you want those to happen, but that changes you and it often strengthens you in, in ways that you are unaware of until, until you need it. But I think, um, for me, uh, that was formative. I mean, getting run over by a truck when I was, what, 45 years old and running marathons and riding bikes and thinking I was like Superwoman and, and then boom, out of, literally one minute you're up, next minute you're down and then almost um, dying, and then uh, taking a year just to learn to walk again, uh, was very humbling. And it just made me realize that anything can happen to anybody. And so it also gave me a lot more empathy for just about anybody in the room. And when I'd sit at those assembly meetings, I'd just look out and think, you know, they, they might have something that I know nothing about uh, in, in their in their family, in their lives, there, there might be something going on, and it doesn't hurt to be kind to them, even if they're being awful to you. Mm. Uh, yeah, would that we could export that, you know, nationwide, right? I guess it is one person at a time. Um, I, before we end, I want to talk just about <laughs> some of these issues are pretty mundane. You know, the, the, the work of probably any, you know, city council assigning house numbers is one that stood out to me. <laughs> that was, yes. We don't have, that was a, uh, that was one of my, it's one of my favorite chapters. I mean, I don't want people to go away and think that the book is all serious and wonky government. I think it's just a, a window into what happens on a local assembly. And a lot of it is funny. And a lot of it is, um, uh, some of it is uh, inspiring and heartbreaking. But the, the, the whole issue and, and a whole chapter on how we figured out 
numbering our houses and what we call things and what names mean in a small place where we don't have home mail delivery. So everybody gets their mail at the post office. So all like little children here, you know, their their address is their P.O. box. And um, we had a new planner who said, well, we have to know where people live. And then, of course, there was newer people that moved to town that were on the ambulance crew, say, and they needed to know whose house it was beyond, you know, oh, that was, you know, the remember the old tourism director used to live there and then a teacher lived there and it's the third one up on the, the right on the hill with all the spruce trees. <laughs> it's like that could, that could be anybody's house. <laughs> and so they decided that we needed numbers. But then that became problematic because there have been different times in our town's history where there had been numbers given, but since then new uh, buildings were put up between, say, number 120 and 121 that was now three buildings. So what do you do? <laughs> you know, and it uh, and then it it, it got even um, more challenging because a lot of our local landmarks and um, even roads uh, don't have signs or official names. For instance, I live at the bottom of Cemetery Hill, which everybody knows at Cemetery Hill except. Nobody would know that who didn't live here. <laughs> There's not a sign. It's not the name of the road. There's nothing, and it's like, how do we, how do we do that? So anyway, uh, the the bears is in the title of bears and ballots. Said I, this is Alaska. I'm totally stereotyping here, but I, I think uh, there are bear issues. Yeah, and there's also the metaphorical bears too uh, <laughs> that were growling around the, <laughs> my house, but. Um, Yes, we have. Uh, uh, we are really fortunate to live in a place where there's a lot of uh, bears, predominantly um, uh, Alaskan coastal brown bears or grizzly bears for, for you guys. And um, there are some black bears too. And um, because of the fish in the rivers, they're here. And because there's just a lot of room for them to roam, they're here. And we had, uh, they're very popular with tourists who come and see them. Um, and, you know, you can go on a raft trip or a, 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 a nature tour and, and pretty much see bears if, if you want to here. And um, uh, so there was a lot of discussion on the assembly about uh, bear-proof trash cans and um, tour permits for an area along the Chilkoot River where you can drive right up and see them that's become very popular and almost too popular. We hadn't had any incidents with, um, you know, where any bears hurt anybody or anybody hurt a bear, but it was, it, it had the potential. And we were, so there was a lot of those kind of discussions. And this summer, it's been really interesting because without the tourists, the bears who have been somewhat habituated over a couple generations now to people watching them are just walking down the street into town. And mm. um, that's um, caused some trouble this, this year. Yeah, I, I can imagine. I can imagine. Uh, just at the end here, um, by the way, uh, COVID nineteen. How's I, I've heard that Alaska's doing pretty good. What's what's it like in Haines? We are. Um, we we were, we're we were doing better until we opened up uh, more. But um, you know, we shut down very quickly. I think because we're just one flight away from Seattle, and when Seattle had uh, COVID very early. Um, Southeast Alaska at least took it very seriously because we fly through Seattle to get anywhere in the lower 48. And um, uh, in Haines, we've had, uh, I believe, five cases, but um, three were seasonal fish cannery workers, but I think just asymptomatic. I don't think they actually got sick. Um, And then the same, but they were tested, you know, and then quarantined. And then um, two other uh, people in town, again, uh, younger people that were, tested as part of a, a job or um, coming into town having been away for a while. And again, they didn't actually get sick, but they had to quarantine. Um, we've been, you know, we're face mask folks. Uh, there's some of that issue that you have in other places. There's some people that don't want to, but pretty much we're taking it seriously because we don't have a hospital. Um, we'd have to be uh, medevaced out to Juneau. Um, there's a small clinic. And so there are those issues. Mm, yeah. Well, uh, good luck with that. And um, and a wonderful book of Bears and Ballots, an Alaskan adventure in small town politics. The author, Heather Lendy, has been uh, with us. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. It's been a delight talking with you. 
Next up is Bread and Butter, a culinary chronicle with Jen Ashton. That spaghetti packs a punch, and it has nothing to do with the spices. You've heard about studies showing the impact of consistent family meals on teen behavior. The more often they eat dinner with their families, the less likely teens are to use drugs, alcohol, or engage in other risky behavior. Family dinners at least five times per week are also tied to higher grades, self-esteem, and resilience in youth. Why? Is it the homemade pasta? The garden-fresh tomatoes? Nope, it's you. More specifically, it's your interest, your attention, your willingness to listen, as well as share experiences and expectations. David Watkins, Prevention Coordinator for the Bear River Health Department, explains. The research on that shows that um, as families sit down around a table, they're just able to connect and bond together. Um, It really doesn't matter how good the food is. Um, It's really just the conversation and the interaction that's going on with them that is is creating a bond not only to their siblings, but to their parents and to the ideals that their parents have. Person-to-person connection is important and comes naturally as we align schedules and sit eye-to-eye around a table. But it isn't just bonding that shows up in the research. In fact, bonding is more of a gateway. It's also the communication of boundaries that carry protective power. Watkins sees this in his preventative efforts with Parents Empowered, a media and education campaign funded by the Utah legislature designed to prevent and reduce underage drinking in the state. Parents Empowered in Utah shows that it's kind of that expectation, the rules, the boundaries that the parents are setting, and that might be conveyed you know, during a family dinner. I'm bonding with my kids and my kids are bonding with me. Um, but then it's that rule and that expectation for like no underage drinking is what's keeping kids from drinking. For calendars riddled with soccer games and band concerts, food has the power to pull us in where conversation can flow. Discussion could shift from the day's happenings to favorite vacations or current events. Within the exchange, Listening to each other increases our understanding, and sharing our observations establishes a frame of reference for values. Within this framework, Parents Empowered would also encourage us to set clear rules and consequences for underage drinking and follow-up often. Family dinner is just one of many opportunities for daily positive interactions that build resilience, but it is the most delicious. So what's for dinner tonight? How about some bonding and boundaries? This is Jen Ashton for Bread and Butter. You're listening to Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU-FM Logan, and also heard at upr.org. A limited number of tickets are available now for Writers in the Woods, book signings and presentations by artists in the beautiful surrounding of Northern Utah's natural settings. In July, writer Nicole Walker will share her collections, The After Normal, Brief Alphabetical Essays on a Changing Planet, and Sustainability, A Love Story, at the Stewart Farm in Hyde Park. Join Utah Public Radio and the Stokes Nature Center in July for Writer in the Woods. Ticket information at upr.org. 